Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Lopez wants it away. And it's a deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. Mike Piazza and the Mets lead 3-2. Martolo has done it. The impossible has happened. This is one of the great moments in the history of baseball. Ladies and gentlemen, Mets fans of all ages, here is your host, Nick Durr. Hello, Mets fans. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Mets right here in the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Nick Durst, and we are in the midst of it now. We're looking right now at the World Series going to get underway very shortly here. And for the Mets and the Mets fans, we are counting down the days till the World Series is over so that we can focus on the Mets offseason and see what is actually going to be happening here with this franchise. Will they go for it? Will they spend in the offseason? Will they kind of run it back with the similar roster that the young guys grow? So we'll get into the roster construction in a few minutes here. Of course, we'll talk about who is going to be the Mets manager coming up on October 31st, Halloween, which will be the last day that Craig counsels under contract with the Brewers. I'm sure he'll be having a November 1st meeting with David Stearns. But joining me now to break it all down, you, of course, see him on SNY, longtime New York sports columnist, baseball expert, Anthony McCarron. Anthony, welcome in. If I would have told you in March, we would have been seeing Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander pitching in the championship series. What would you have said? That's crazy talk, Nick. I can't believe that it's come to this. Uh, I can't believe the way that the the baseball season ended up for the Mets. Uh, it was such a year of of optimism and hope, and you know, it just cratered, and it was it's terrible. Absolutely awful. But now you look around these playoffs every year. You're looking around, and you're seeing former Mets all over the place. <laughs> Obviously, Scherzer and Verlander, they weren't homegrown or anything, but. It's just a pattern here that keeps developing with, with the Mets getting rid of players too soon, perhaps. We could date back to, in a different degree, trading Scott Casimir. But then moving on, you got Justin Turner. You let him go. He became a superstar. And the list goes on. Travis Darno. remember Brody Van Wagen and cut him after six, six at-bats, DFA'd. He goes on. Unbelievable run with the Rays. Now he's one of the great Braves catchers of all time, one of the all-time leaders of home runs for catchers in the playoffs. And then you have guys like Paul Seawald, who has been great with the Diamondbacks in this postseason run and was great with the Mariners. Chris Flexen, to a degree, to let him go. And he ended up having that one good season with the Mariners. They bring him back, of course, with the Trevor Gott trade, but then they let him go. And the list goes on and on. Seth Lugo, he had a really strong year as a starter for the Padres. I don't know why the Mets didn't see that coming. Your colleague on Baseball Night in New York, Terry Collins, tells tells the audience all the time, when Lugo came up for us in 2016 as a starter, he was great. And the Mets, for some reason, just only saw him as a reliever. I think oh, the Mets TC just, loves uh, Lugo, doesn't he? He loves, he loves yeah. Lugo. And what's not to love? The Mets could have certainly used his three-and-a-half ERA this season in the rotation with, with some stability there. Why do you think this is, just keeps happening over and over again with this franchise over the past 15 years? 
Well, in fairness, Nick, I think we have to make the point that every team has misses. Uh, you know, the Mets have a few, and you listed them all uh, there. Um, and it's it's not a great look, obviously. Uh, but this happens all the time. Uh, when when you look at Paul Seawald, and I'm not defending the Mets here, as we'll get to in a minute, but Paul Seawald was kind of like getting toward his 30s, hadn't pitched particularly well for the Mets, and then you know, to, to his credit and to other, uh, to the uh, Mariners development people, uh, and this goes for other players too, they turned themselves into something. I mean, Justin Turner, uh, I can't, I can't really call him a miss by the Mets because he was kind of like a random extra guy for them. I think Terry Collins was one of the few guys who really loved him as a player when he was on the Mets. Um, you know, and I know he had that string of game winning hits for them and everything, but he had no power back then. Uh, and he wasn't a particularly great major league hitter either, but he made himself into one. And, you know, remember, if you remember before he got to the Dodgers, he went into the hitting lab and reworked his swing on his own and he became something. And now, of course, he's one of the great postseason guys of all time as well. He's had a wonderful career, but I give him a lion's share of the credit for that. I, I will, I, I completely agree with you. Travis Darno was a big mistake. It was almost like, I don't, you know, I don't know why they treated him that way. Uh, you know, two years earlier, he had an 825 OPS uh, in a season that the Mets made the playoffs, uh, excuse me, made the World Series. And if you remember, he hit that postseason home run into the apple. Uh, you know, he he had some flair, too. Uh, you know, and he was the centerpiece of that big trade with the Blue Jays, you know, that became known later as the Noah Syndergaard trade. It was the Travis Darno trade uh, at, at the beginning. So he was always a, a, a talented prospect and good for him for seizing opportunities elsewhere. But yeah, that was, to me, that was a huge miss and another one. And look, I understand there was, there was risk with signing Zach Wheeler uh, when he became a free agent um, because of his injury history. He had missed two full years. He'd had some other Knicks here and there. Uh, you know, and I, you remember Brody Van Wagen and I think it was who said that he par that, that Wheeler parlayed, two good half seasons into a, a, a big contract. And, you know, I think you could see, you could see Zach Wheeler coming a little bit. The, the health was a, was a worry. Some guys, you know, we, we think about all these touted prospects and you, you look back at Wheeler, well, he was the number six pick in the draft and they traded him, you know, they traded Carlos Beltran to get him. He should be a star immediately. And he pitched well for the Mets early on. Then he got hurt and then he was on his way back. And there was, uh, to me, there was evidence that he was, you know, on his way up as well. Uh, and the Mets didn't see it that way. And five years for $118 million is a lot of money. They weren't going to go there. That was clear. Uh, and the Phillies took a chance because it seems the Phillies theory is to say, hey, there's a good player. Let's go sign him. And, and it certainly worked for them, as we have seen in the past two Octobers. Uh, but, yeah, Zach, to me, Zach Wheeler was a uh, was a huge miss as well. Uh you know, but who knows if he would have wanted to stay either, Nick, to be quite honest. Well, you heard all those rumblings in 2015 when he was out. He asked for World Series tickets or they said or he wanted to sit in the dugout and he was told no. And then he said, I'll buy World Series tickets. They said no. So there was some maybe some bad blood there. Ultimately, maybe it comes down to the ownership and they didn't want to pay the Wilpons. Maybe it would be different if Cohen was here, because now you look back on it. That's pretty much a bargain for for a a starting pitcher. I mean, look, look what Carlos Rondon's got. Garrett Cole, all these star pitchers are getting so much money. Scherzer and 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 uh, Berland are getting over $40 million a year. So who knows? Right now, it looks like one of the greatest contracts ever signed for a starter. And 
only one year left on that deal, 2024. So Wheeler is going to get another payday. So he's going to parlay those two half great seasons into five great seasons. And then he's going to get another big time deal, I, I would think. And who knows, maybe at that point, there would be a lot of suitors for him, whereas where last free agency, there was only just the Phillies, really, because the Mets didn't want to pay. And he's authored a great postseason resume, too, uh, since then as well. I mean, he's one of the reasons the Phillies are the threat that they are in October uh, lately. And, you know, that's all to, to the good for him. He's a super talented guy uh, who I always felt like was working his butt off. And it just, you know, I said this before, but it just takes time for some guys to get through whatever it is, whether it's injuries or development. And, you know, it's not like development is not a straight line. You don't get to your, the, the end game of your career where you sort of are a good player, a great pitcher, whatever, you know, by just marching there and having it happen, uh, you know, which is something that the Mets will have to discover with some of their prospects that they're sort of sifting through now, Nick, in terms of guys we've seen in the past year, guys who are coming up, you know, we, we hear about these names and we're excited to see them on the list. And, ooh, this guy's ranked this and this guy's ranked that. And so we think that that translates into immediate stardom and immediate impact. And there are bumps along the way. And every person is a different person. And sometimes the prospect lists are wrong. And sometimes the front offices are wrong. And these guys don't pan out, uh, whoever's fault it is. But it happens. And, you know... So patience is key in all these things. And, you know, some guys, you know, come up and they just explode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those are the truly incredible players of our time. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about some prospects momentarily here. Just wanted to ask you, when it's all said and done, we'll fast forward here four or five years. When you look back on it, who had the better career, Zach Wheeler or Jacob DeGrom? Well, um, you know, that's a tough one to say because of DeGrom's health issues uh, that have plagued him over the past few years. He has had truly uh, some of the great pitching seasons in our lifetimes. Um, so it's hard to hard for me to imagine it not being him as long as he gets back to some reasonable amount of Jacob DeGrom going forward here for the Texas Rangers. Uh, you know, that's not to ding Zach Wheeler, who I think I've made clear I'm a big fan of mm -hmm. uh, in terms of pitcher. Uh and, um, you know, but DeGrom, I, I mean, we'll see if he can, I don't know if he needs, does he need to make the adjustment that like the, you know, the slider at 94 is great, you know, when you're, and you're throwing 101 or whatever, but can he physically stand up to that over the long haul? Um, you know, I, I don't know. And he's, he's got to get out there and he's got to pitch and he's got to add seasons to his, to his, the back of his baseball card to be considered. But if Zach Wheeler keeps going along like this and DeGrom sort of fades into, uh, you know, health obscurity, I mean, then Wheeler will take that, uh, take that title, but, but, ta but talent wise, impact wise, and so far uh, ceiling wise, I think it's DeGrom. And the Rangers in the world series without Jacob DeGrom. So who knows are they going to be next year? <laughs> well, we'll see if DeGrom pitches next year. Right. Who knows? Who knows? But you know, crazy to think about that crazy Mets rotation, which made one run through with Harvey, Wheeler, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Mats, and it didn't ultimately work out. We got to the World Series, but it didn't work out. And right. we talked about some prospects and, and sometimes it not working out. So I want to name some, some players here, and we'll, we'll use the Mets crystal ball here. Maybe we should just ask Terry Collins because he seems to always know exactly who, who's going to work out. Terry is a, he's but, a smart baseball man. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to do a keep 
or delete segment here. So you tell me, should the Mets keep him because there's going to be potential or he might be great somewhere else? Or are we going to cut ties with them, DFA them, trade them because it's time to move on? So we'll start in the bullpen, which has been a disaster overall. But this guy, no fault of his own really, but he's kind of become the, the face of the failure of the bullpen. And he, he said so much potential. They acquired him in a trade a few years ago and he got injured and then he was good. And then last year he was just hanging the breaking ball. And that's yeah. Drew Smith. Do you think the Mets should bring him back? I think they should, but they should not consider him as such a more of a high leverage guy like they have been the last few years. What do you think about Drew Smith? I think you're onto something there because I think that in, in today's Major League Baseball, the bullpen is such a valuable sort of evolving piece during every single season that you can't just toss away talented guys like Drew Smith because they've annoyed your fan base by being inconsistent and walking too many guys, uh, particularly in 2023. Um, I don't believe he's a high leverage reliever on a good team. I think if he's a high leverage reliever on your team, you're not a good team, or that's a that's another check mark to where you're not a good team. Now, that's as he stands right now, because as you say, he had a lot of potential. He did pitch well earlier in his career. I think the Mets should keep him and see if he can pitch his way into, you know, through the sort of war of attrition that every relief core is during a season. Uh, guys will get hurt. Guys will underperform. Uh, there'll be moves made, blah, blah, blah. But can Drew Smith in a limited role that where he's not protecting that slim one run lead in the seventh inning, can he pitch himself into a better spot with some more consistency? I mean, the walks were really concerning this year. Uh, I think it was 4.6 per nine innings. That's unacceptable for a relief pitcher who's already coming in to situations that are troublesome. And if you add more trouble, at some point, somebody's going to hit a bloop. And then you're going to say, well, we contact, we contact. Well, you walked two guys before that, too. So, you know, that's where I think I'm at with Drew Smith. Valuable arm uh, to a point, but he's got to do more. And, and he's got to earn, uh, and not just through injury and attrition, he's got to earn bigger uh, situations. Absolutely. And the bullpen really needs to be retooled. I thought going into last year, even with Edwin Diaz, the bullpen was going to be a weakness. So I'd love to see them bring Dave Robertson back. Maybe there's some sour grapes there, but we know he loves playing in New York. Get him in that eighth inning role. But you can't be going into the season again with these optionable arms, which we heard Billy Epler preach about last offseason. You can't, can't be relying on Tommy Hunter. We can't be seeing the Sean Reed Foley's of the world, the Daniil Reyes's. Got to get some legit arms in there. And with the bullpen, you know, Drew Smith, I think he had a, a 171 batting average against with the fastball. So something is there. There's some magic. This keeper cut here, not a player, but um, he, he survived once before. Is Jeremy Hefner going to be back? Is he going to go through his third manager now with the Mets? It's a great question, and I, I think it's an unknowable answer right now. Um, by the way, I think I pulled a, a neck muscle, uh, nod, nodding as vigorously as possible with your assessment <laughs> that they needed an, more in the bullpen even before Diaz got hurt last year because I thought that a lot of people glossed over some open spots in that pen for me, even before Edwin Diaz, who was obviously one of the great relievers in the game today, uh, was hurt. They needed more, and I think that they sort of like not a Cadillac 
is the wrong term for it, but they kind of like nonchalanted, like, oh, you know, eh, um, you know, we got enough in the bullpen. No, no, there are no more enough in the bullpens in, in today's game. You got to get, you got to get guys. Robertson, I love him. Love to have him back. It would be great for the Mets, I think, to have him in there. And they need, you know, I think they could add another Robertson-esque arm uh, as well to, to, and then welcome Diaz back and hopefully back to his old lofty heights. Uh, to get back to the Hefner question, it really is unknowable now uh, what they would do um, because he's just he's in a weird position because you can't you know you can't hire a president of baseball operations and say David Stearns it's your show but the pitching coach goes nowhere that's I mean David Stearns is going to be like um, no I'll do I'll I'm gonna if I take this job I'm doing what I want and that sort of extends through to the manager and. Uh, and going from there, like if the manager he hires has his own guy that he's worked with and he can talk David Stearns into hiring him, then, you know, there may be a, a new pitching coach. And, and so I think that that's way up in the air and, and way too early to keep or delete. Yeah. I would say if it ends up being Craig council as the manager, I would assume he would at least attempt to just bring his host staff over from Milwaukee and we'll see. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that once the manager and we'll revisit that back to the players here. Mark Vientos, I think this guy has so shown some flashes. I think they really messed him up because he kept getting called up and he was sitting on the bench and he was getting two at-bats per week. But I think the Mets are at a stage where they really should be win now, win later. And I don't think you could ride it out with him and give him those 150 at-bats to start the year and see because you have too many of those guys that are gonna, we're going to talk about shortly. So I think with me, Vientos, I would – I would cut ties with him. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm DFAing him or trading him. He's got options, so you can leave him in the minors. But I don't think this is a guy that, if you want to compete next year, is someone you're going to be able to have the patience or time to have him as a starter. He doesn't have a position, as we know. The Mets have a bunch of third baseman prospects now. They have Alonzo. He's, he's not the answer at DH, at least in my opinion. I think they need to go for bigger and better at the DH spot. I think they will attempt to get somebody like Otani. If not, you know, get somebody, get a star. Get somebody like Cody Bellinger, rotate it around with the DH position. You got to get better at DH. Your your thoughts on Mark Fientos? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I want to, I want to cite one number here that I, or, or a couple numbers here that I wrote down that may, maybe this can convince you that he's worth more than a, um, than a sort of hold in the minors type thing. Okay. Um, average exit velocity. For Mark Vantos, I don't know how, where you where you land on exit velocity. Um, I'm intrigued by exit velocity because, generally speaking, baseball players try to hit the ball hard because it usually uh, comes up to good results, and we've got some evidence of that with some of the analytics that are out there now. So his average exit velocity was 92.5 last season, which is really good. In fact, it's better than I'll, I'll read you four players: Mookie Betts, Kyle Schwarber, Austin Riley. And Adolis Garcia, uh, now slightly better than those guys. And I, I know it's a small sample size, and I know I'm sort of cookie cuttering a stat to fit a narrative here, and that's fine. Um, uh, but it is, it does show to me that shows some potential for Vientos. Um, now, I totally agree with you that he was not handled correctly last year. Um, once the Mets had determined that they were punting last season, he should have played every single day, righty lefty regardless 
and there were too many at bats being sucked up by other guys who should not have been were not in the evaluation uh period of you know who who can actually play going forward you know and he should have gotten those spots now you're right he can't play a position at least not now and he needs to figure out a way to be acceptable on defense somewhere he doesn't currently rate that um and you're right the mets have a lot of guys there now i'm i'm not saying that he's a hill i'm dying on so to speak uh, but i would say there's some potential value there there is raw power that is something that the major league team lacks right now and i i just i, I think that he's somebody who's interesting um mm-hmm. that's about as far as i'll go but I, you know i will say this if the mets don't believe if the if the development people don't believe and if David Stearns doesn't believe, then they should try to trade him and get one of the, one of the relief arms we talked about uh, in for him, and, and just and just cut the cord with him and, and move on. But I do wonder if he's a guy who could sort of get you an easy twenty five home runs um, as a as a part time uh, you know part time player bench guy. Maybe that's a figures a little too high, but I think there could be some slug there, and he might be one of those guys who. Look, we all talked him up. I know I did. We all talked him up. Got to get him up here. Got to get him up here. You know, what's he doing in the minors? You know, they need some power. And then he didn't hit immediately. And so we're like, oh, okay. Um, So maybe he's one of those guys who needs a little time. So I hear what you're saying with this exit velo, and I would be selling that to other general managers because (laughs) the Mets at the deadline last year, they acquired four shortstops. Last time I checked, they have a shortstop. They also have Ryan Mauricio. They have... They have McNeil locked up. They have Nimmo locked up. So all these shortstops, there's only so many spots to move them. And the sort of position player is the Mets have really not much starting pitching depth as far as high-end prospects. That's for sure. I think Stern is going to be making a trade this offseason at some point to try to get one of these starters, whether it's a Corbin Burns, it's going to be Shane Bieber is going to be on the move most likely. Glass now is probably going to get moved. So – I think Vientos is a nice piece to put in a package and you give him one of those top prospects, whether it's a, a Jet Williams or Acuna or whatever it may be. Uh, Silas is saying, let's just trade these guys. But if you can get a Cy Young Award winner in here, I think that's probably the move. And that's that's probably going to make the most sense for the Mets here when they're saying they're not going to go all for it for spending-wise in the offseason. So I think Vientos is somebody that if 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 you if there are teams that believe in him with his exit velocity and his power, he has power. We know we've seen it. He just needs the time to 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 to, to bat. Right. I think he might be a, a, a prime trade piece this offseason. Do you think Serge is going to attempt to make a trade? And because the rotation has two guys right now, really yeah. that you could count on in in Quintana and Senga. You know, it's funny because the the whole the whole talk about. Uh, you know, what Max Scherzer said, which I believe is the truth. There's no reason in the world that Max Scherzer should would make up the idea that that's what he was told by the Mets, that they were going to kind of take a step back right. in 24. But the Mets kind of, uh, uh, Steve Cohen particularly sort of bit back at that narrative because I don't think they liked the public uh, take on, you know, the Mets are giving up on 24 too. That's outrageous. And that would be outrageous uh, to be quite frank because they have some players in their prime who with the right pieces added could make a run. I mean, the Diamondbacks, <laughs> I mean, the Diamondbacks are, you know, made the NLCS, the 84 win Diamond, Diamondbacks. Um, you know, right. there, there are opportunities in these playoffs. You know, we, we all go deep into the, oh, well, it's a crapshoot now. You know, even the superpowers mm-hmm. can't win. It's like, okay, so be one of the ones that maybe the off. Mets, the Mets exactly might have too early. They were only I, I totally, games uh, back uh, in the Diamondbacks. Oh, Nick, don't get me started. 
<laughs> I want to get you started, Anthony. That's, I well, want to get you started because you, they, they put with with the talent. We saw Lindor came around. Scherzer, he pitched okay. Verlander pitched great. That could have been a difference right there. I agree. I agree. I think that they punted on a season that they had a chance to potentially do some damage, and that's not to me. That's not the right way to go. Um, and I know they got all these glorious prospects and what genius uh, moves they pulled off. Uh, you know, the Rangers are going to the world. You know, Max Scherzer isn't going to be pitching in the World Series, by the way. Uh, and I'm not saying the Mets would have made it. I'm not saying the Mets would have gotten to the World Series if they had made the playoffs. None of that. But it was a chance. They had a they had a team full of good players who were playing poorly at the time. And I agree. They they gave no reason for anyone to have any faith in them other than the the sort of long season. These guys are too good to be this bad. And you know, they I think they could have made a run and done something or been in some sort of contention. And it's too bad they didn't because I feel like people forget that the years that you have a chance are you don't have a chance every single season. I know that, you know, that's the big buzz around the Mets, you know, sustainable success, sustainable success. Well, I mean, even the Dodgers, the model that the Mets uh, aspire to have won the World Series once since 1998, if I have that correctly in my brain. Uh, and it was in the shortened season. So their detractors are all saying, well, who knows if they would have won if it were the full season. But all I'm saying is that the years that you're in place, you should try. And, you know, it's great to build up the farm system, but that also takes years. And fans are eager to believe that every single prospect is going to be great. Oh, we got the next Mike Trout here. And Acuna's brother is, you know, Acuna said his brother's more talented than he was or had better success at this age. So he's going to be better than Ronald Acuna. No, he won't be. He won't be. It would be the highest of high miracles right. if if Luis Angel Acuna is better like than It's more like a Jeremy Giambi situation. Yeah, I, my, I, I was funny. I was talking to a scout about this, and uh, I said, "Well, you got to love the guy's bloodlines at least, right?" And he says, "Well, you know, talk to me about the Canseco twins sometimes." <laughs> so, right. I'm like, "Yeah, I hear you." Um, but yeah, so look, um, you're right. They do have a lot of guys blocking uh, Vientos, and um, you know, I. I but yeah, um, they're not all going to pan out. We all we're all in love with Jet Williams now. We all love Acuna. Uh, you know, we don't know what they are. They're all they are right now is good prospects and credit to them to building themselves up uh, and striving to get to the spot that they're in. There's a long way to go to being a really good major league player. And yeah. sometimes fans forget that guys aren't the number on the prospect list. They are guys who need to still develop and be something. Right. Case in point would be Brett Beatty last season. Such high hopes for nice him. segue. <laughs> now, remember, we got sold the. Eduardo Escobar, unbelievable September. He's going to start the year. That lasted about a week, two weeks. And then Brett Beatty came up. We thought he was going to just take over and hit. The big leagues are hard. He was unable to hit. Ends up going back to the minors later on. If if the Mets are going to be like Eppler told Scherzer, we're not really necessarily going to go for it in 2024, then sure, absolutely. Brett Beatty, put him in. You could put him at third base. I think he's going to be with this team next year. I just don't know how long the leash is going to be because I'm going to couple him here with Ronnie Mauricio. I don't I don't see how both of these guys are going to be able to start every day because McNeil's going to start for sure. Right. Maybe McNeil moves to the outfield, but it's kind of a puzzle piece here with McNeil, Beatty, and Mauricio. I think Mauricio showed enough that at the very least in his limited time at bats, he should be starting next year to start the season. 
Mauricio probably should have been up in May, perhaps, to kind yes. of save the season. Maybe they weren't right. They didn't know what he was going to be, but look at the alternatives. They had nothing to lose. So Brett Beatty, Anthony, we both agree he's going to be on this roster, I believe. Yeah. Do you think he's going to have a long leash, though, at third base? That's a great question. Well, I think we're really going to see what Brett Beatty is made of this year because he endured a lot of failure. Um, and, and, you know, big-time prospects, first-round picks, you know, in their lifetimes, they don't get that until they get to professional baseball. And so you see what he, you know, he was sort of, he, when he was called up, you're right, Escobar was obviously not going to work and they needed something. He was going to be a boost. And he's a very talented guy, hits a lot of line drives, um, seems to have an idea at the plate, although he strikes out a, a little too much, but who doesn't nowadays? That's something that he can grow out of a little bit anyway, uh, to still be a, a constructive major league hitter. I think, um, you know, his defense is not great. And sometimes I wonder if the idea that, you know, that narrative weighed on him because everybody was so focused on, well, I don't know if he could play third base at the major league level. Maybe he can't, we don't know the answer to that even now, but, um, there was a lot going on for him last year and, you know, how does he come out of the struggle? You know, how has he, per how will he have persevered through all this? And, you know, he's definitely his, his prospect reputation is tarnished now a little bit because he did have so much failure at the big league level. That doesn't mean that he's not redeemable. That doesn't mean that he can't be what they hoped he was going to be when he was picked. I think, what was it? 12th overall or something. Um, so yeah, I think he's going to be on the on the team. I think you got to give him 150 or 200 at bats, don't you? To to see, mm -hmm. I mean, unless he's just completely inept, and I don't think he's going to be completely inept. Um, so yeah, you know, I think he's probably got a long list of things to work on uh, this winter, and um, you know, he could really show the Mets something by coming out strong and and, and playing well. And look, if other Team, I, you know, this is sort of your Vientos take a little bit, but if other teams think highly of him and you can get Corbin Burns in a deal that includes Brett Beatty, then you trade Brett Beatty in the right. Corbin Burns deal and yeah. you stop. Uh, this is one of my, look, I realize that, that, that this is my, my, my thing, but like all the people who are out there hugging all the prospects all the time, can't trade any of these precious unknowns. That's ridiculous. You have to give up to get, and a lot of these guys don't pan out anyway. So I feel like yeah. he's a guy that if someone wants him and you need to make a move for a pitcher, do it. I, I agree. Definitely agree. And then you have all those prospects at shortstop. You can move one of them to third base, move Reese to third. I'm curious to see if Beatty's going to be a place of left field in spring training. We heard some rumors Probably last a good year. Idea. I think, I think Mauricio showed he's probably a better third baseman than Beatty. So and again, there's going to be an opening either in left field or second base if you get those three guys with, with McNeil. So we'll see how that, that pans out because I don't anticipate the Mets signing an outfielder. And the outfielder that I think they're going to come back, and they should come back, but I don't want to see him start. I want to see DJ Stewart come back. Yeah, He's showed enough, I think, and struggled in September. But I think DJ Stewart is somebody who they should bring back in some capacity. I'm going to couple him with a few guys here, Anthony, and you let me know who you think of these guys will be on the roster next year. DJ Stewart, Omar Narvaez, who probably isn't the happiest guy in the world because he came to be a starter. And but I mean, what's we're gonna bring Nito back up as the Mets as a Mets fan? I think keep Narvaez unless somebody's giving you like a high end reliever or something. But I don't think that value is gonna be there. 
Starling Marte, who I think the Mets would like to trade, but he's going to have no value coming off an injured season. Maybe the Mets eat some money and then you can move him. And of course, Daniel Vogelback, who the Mets have another option on. His numbers ended up being okay at the end of the year, but you know, that's doesn't tell the story all the time. Look at Escobar the year before. So DJ Stewart, Narvaez, Vogelback, and Marte Anthony. So I think Stewart will be on the team. Uh, he's at least a, a representative uh, left-handed bench bat, uh, you know, occasional starter. Uh, call him off the bench late in the game to hit one over the fence. Uh, you know, I, I think he did a great job, and that's a, a kudos to him for seizing an opportunity for a guy who, you know, I know he was a former first-round pick of another team and, you know, obviously had some talent and, and some regard in the industry, but, you know, he he had an opportunity and he seized it, and that's, you know, that's the name of the game in the majors, so good for him. Narvaez, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be Francisco Alvarez's backup next year. Um, I understand he probably wouldn't love that idea, um, and, and I get it, but, uh, you know, he's capable, he can do the job, and I think he, he having him around to sort of help Alvarez is not such a bad thing either, um, you know, because I think Alvarez is an untouchable uh, marvel who really, they really need to explore all he can be, uh, you know, and, and if he has an older catcher tutoring him, um, uh, you know, on the on the the defense and all that stuff, um, which he performed, which Alvarez performed well at this year, but further development there can't hurt a thing. Um, who was the other guy? Vogelback and Marte. Vogelback needs to go. Um, uh, you know, I'm not an anti Daniel Vogelback guy. I just think that he clogs a roster spot because all he can do is what he was doing last year. And he didn't really, I, I wrote down his numbers. Um, you know, slash line 233, 339, 409, OPS 742, which is slightly above average in Major League Baseball. Um, if you're going to have a left-handed DH on your team who can't play the field, that that can't be the number. That You know, the, his OPS can't be 104. It's got to be much, much better than that, OPS plus. Um, and he doesn't do that for you. Uh, so I think they need to... Uh, embrace the versatility of, of of a bench spot even more and move on from him. I think, you know, if you want, if you want to have a D a DH platoon, uh, then I think DJ Stewart needs to get a lot of lefty at bats uh, as a uh, D as your lefty DH. So uh, Vogelback, I'm moving on from uh, last guy was Marte. Yep. Yeah. Fascinating case here. Let me go to my notes again. Um, he's due 41 and a half million dollars over the last two years of his contract. Um, in fairness to him, he was not healthy all year. That was clear. 86 games. He had his career worst OPS, 625. I know he stole a few bases, uh, but it was easier to steal bases this past season because of the rule changes. Um, but he did not look comfortable all season. Um, I don't know what you trade him for. And I, you know, and I don't, I know Steve Cohen is an exceptionally rich owner. I don't love the idea of them trading him and eating all the salary uh, because they can. That just, there's something that sort of seems, I don't know, icky about that to me. Um, you know, I get the strategy of what they did over this past deadline, basically buying prospects when they were trading Scherzer and, and Verlander. You know, I understand it. Um, you know, when you start swallowing every dime, uh, you know, I mean, who's going to take Star- Starling Marte anyway, unless they... Are, are really sort of in on his resurgent, 
So maybe the Mets' best value play here with him is to see if him being healthy uh, gets him back to being close to the player uh, he was in his first year, which was pretty good as a Met. Um, you know, the, of course, the flip side, too, is he just turned 35 years old. Yeah, I think that the only thing you could do is hold on to him because he's not going to have much value on the, the market right now. And maybe if he does well early on, he'll have some value. And I think that's the play. And I think you're a better team with him, I think, at the at the very least with the way the roster is currently constructed. Get him in there. Hopefully he's healthy, has a nice resurgence. And Munton's the lineup for sure. And, you know, he definitely is a good defender. That's that's something that the Mets kind of missed a lot without him in the outfield last year. And the last thing we're going to touch on here is, of course, the manager. And we know Craig Council is the main target. I want to talk about some alternatives in case Craig Council decides he wants to stay in Milwaukee, he wants to take a year off. We hear the, the reports came out that Stearns is going to be open to hiring a first-time manager. Now, I think that's maybe a little risky with the Mets if they are going to try to compete next year. Look at Bruce Bochy, who was in the World Series, Dustin Baker, who won the World Series last year. I think the veteran manager, I would like a veteran manager. I think that's still the way to go. And regardless of who they hire outside of council, they're not going to be as experienced or as savvy as Buck Showalter. Right. So we're looking at the first-time managers here. There's, there's, a, there's so many names out there. You hear some guys before with Mets ties, you know, like a Joe McEwing, and then you hear all these other guys, bench coaches all over the place. I think if I'm going to go with a first-time manager, I don't think it's going to happen, but he'd technically be a second-time manager. I go with Carlos Beltran. Give him a shot. If you're going to go with these, this young core and you're not going to have the pressure of we need to win this year, I think he's someone that the players would respect. He's an all-time great Met. What other? What do you think about Beltran, and what other options do you think the Mets could potentially explore there, at least to, to interview-wise? Well, uh, as far as uh, Carlos goes, I applauded when they hired him. I thought he was a good uh, choice. I thought he was a very intriguing managerial candidate. Um, I think that uh, I, I doubt that he's going to be a candidate. I mean, I could be wrong, but I doubt he's the candidate for this job because if you're David Stearns, do you want to make your first hire – one that fairly or unfairly Beltran's got some baggage with him. I mean, he's probably the single person who was most adversely affected from the punishment yeah. of the, the, the Astros cheating scandal that whether that's fair or not, uh, you know, is de depends on, on your viewpoint of that whole thing. But do you want to bring that on now? Do you want to, uh, you know, the, 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 the same organization, you know, fired him after hiring him after that came out. They didn't really have any other choice. I don't right. think they had Red to Sox, do it. They brought back their manager though. So, and yes, I, but, 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 well, there's a difference though, but Alex, series already, right? Alex Cora was already obviously a gifted manager. And that was like, they knew they had something great there. Um, we don't know much about the possibility of Beltran being a great manager. I think he'll, he would eventually be a good manager. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but he brings that risk of a first timer um, and, and we'll see like, but I, I just don't think that, I think if there were more sort of like, if we weren't, if we didn't have a new front office administration, maybe he would have more of a chance. Right. But I just think that, first of all, I think Craig Council is probably going to end up being the manager. Uh, but I think that if he's not, I don't think they're going to go Carlos. 
So not the the only other veteran guy out there that I think would make sense, but I think he's maybe going to be blackballed for a while from consideration for any job. That's Joe Madden. It seems like a match as far as the analytics, working with the front office and everything. Again, Joe Madden started the shift, but I don't think he's going to get a shot really anytime soon to manage. And is it, it? why do you think that is? Because of the way everything kind of flamed out in Chicago and then didn't really work out in Los Angeles? I mean, I think that's got to be a big part of it. I didn't, I think he had some quote about being interested in the Mets or something. I, I don't, I, I it wouldn't be right. Exactly. I mean, everyone should be there only if there aren't that many of these jobs around, uh, you know, it's not like you're a, uh, mid-level vice president of uh, a corporation somewhere where there, you know, there are a few of those around, but the, the, these jobs are, uh, finite, uh, big league manager. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. I mean, he should, he should always be. Um, toasted in Chicago as the manager who brought the team to the curse ending world series victory. I don't know why it didn't work out in, uh, in, in Anaheim with the angels, not a whole lot seems to work out in Anaheim for the angels, even though they have two of the greatest players who ever walked the face of the earth or had Otani's a free agent. We'll see if he goes back, uh, you know, but they've never been able to put anything together there in recent years. Um, you know, and he he didn't help it along the way. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I feel like a lot of times uh, we look at the, at the managers who are the old timey ones, um, you know, the familiar faces and they're comfortable because they're familiar and, you know, and it works sometimes. You know, the ALCS was a great example. Dusty and Bochi, as you mentioned, you know, the NLCS is a is a mix of two guys who are in their first job still. Yeah. And. So that works too sometimes. I mean, in fact, I, th I, I think the number is, depending on how you view Alex Cora's tenure uh, as one tenure uh, with, with the Red Sox or two separate ones, um, 22 of the guys who managed in, 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 out of the 30 who managed this season were in their first job. Um, that doesn't mean that they were um, in their first year or anything mm -hmm. like that, but that they had grown into you know, the Tori Lavulos uh, or the Rocco Baldelli's of, right. you know, of their time. So, you know, there is success to be had with a first time manager. You know, I understand where Met fans look at the first time manager and go like, no, Mickey right. Calloway, no. Right. You know, I get Start it. from Calloway and Rojas. Yes, exactly. Um, so I understand yeah. where the, the comfort. I think the key for a first time manager is to get a good bench coach. Because I think yeah. that's kind of been the issue with these first time managers sometimes. But the thing with the first time manager is they can succeed, but you need to give them time to succeed. Like it's right. like Lovello, like you see, he's been there for a while. It's not an overnight thing where you snap your fingers. So we'll see. It's all going to depend on this off season and what the Mets plan is. Are they going to try to compete in 2024? I mean, the Mets could sneak into the playoffs and get swept like the Marlins were because that's that's the way this format is. So I think they're not that far off from being in the playoffs with, with if they if they sign certain guys. But it comes down to the rotation. It comes down to the bullpen. And they need to get another bat in there somewhere. They need to help help out Pete Alonso in the lineup. And I think from you that point. Him, you mentioned him earlier. Otani. If yeah. anybody asks, I mean, you've been asked on television, who should the Mets have DH next year? I don't see why oh, the answer who. isn't Otani. Yeah, that's who. There's no excuse. There, There's no excuse not to. Look, you can't force him to sign with the Mets, but there's no excuse to not be the high bidder at this point because that's where Steve Cohen should be flexing his financial muscle. Can't be outbid on Otani. Can't be outbid on Yamamoto. Exactly. Those are the two guys. Exactly. Talk. 
And I mean, if you sign those two guys, and I'm not saying that that's going to happen or predicting that's going to happen, but if you do that, that is one whale of an off season. Oh, I mean, yeah. you have had, an, and you have improved this team greatly. Uh, you know, the, the problem is, is that Yamamoto, he's so young, he's so unique in the fact that he's coming, uh, he'd be coming to the majors at such a young age when you don't really get free agent pitchers mm -hmm. to do that. He's going to get a lot, he's going to get a nice deal, a really, really nice deal. So do you think it helps at all the success Sanga had last season in going for Yamamoto? If like, let's say the Giants and Mets offer the same money, does it help to have Sanga? I would think so. It, but, it, but it also, you know, um, he may, Sanga has made it clear, I think, in some of the reports that have been out there that he would welcome this guy to the team in, in Japanese culture. And I don't want to overstate any of my knowledge of it, but my impression is, is that somewhat, you know, seniority and some, someone being your elder is a very uh, significant thing. And if Yamamoto feels that he's stealing Sanga's thunder, because his contract is going to destroy Sanga's contract, right. destroy, yeah. annihilate obliterate practically, uh, then I don't know if that's going to, if that will play maybe what Senga has reportedly said about being, you know, wanting him on the team would wash that away. Um, but yeah, I think that the fact that Senga thrived and there were questions about Senga that I don't think there are about in the same way about Yamamoto in terms of, because you remember when he was going through free agency last year, teams were pursuing him. Some teams thought he was going to be a reliever. Right. You know, Senga is clearly not a reliever. He is a dynamite starter, Ace. super talented. And yes, ace level starter. So I, I think the fact that he had a smooth transition um, with the Mets would probably make Yamamoto think a little bit about like, oh, that's a place I can go and they know how to do it. And that's right. going to be a plus. And then, you know, he'll come over if they get him and off the do what they did with Sangha last year and skip starts. But I guess at that point, you can go with the six man rotation. You have two guys from Japan in the rotation. And you can get through for a little bit. And ultimately, you saw Senga, he was fine after after two months when they took the they took right. the handcuffs off and he dominated. One of the top, one of the top ERAs in the league, probably gonna get some Cy Young votes as far as you know, one, Certainly. two, three. He'll be in the top five. Runner up for the rookie of the year, I think, is probably a, a strong lock behind Corbin Carroll. Right. And that that's gonna be a contract that is gonna go down as a major bargain. As yes. And it, it worked out. Yes, absolutely. That was that was a great move by uh, by Billy Epler, a great move by Steve Cohen to get that guy here. And they 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 at least in his first year they pegged him right as a starter and a super contributor. And it's it's been beautiful so far. It's really worked out great. Absolutely. And having you on's been beautiful. It's worked out great. And we appreciate your time, Anthony. Let our <laughs> audience know where they could where they could find you, where they could see you, where they could read your work. And we'll uh, send it on out of here. Ah, okay. Well, I uh, I appear uh, regularly on SNY on Baseball Night in New York and on uh, Honda Sports Night. So please check it out. Uh, talking about baseball and uh, on the late night show, a little bit of other sports as well. You can find me on Twitter at Anthony McCarron. I write a lot of stuff for the SNY website. Um, I, you know, I was a longtime daily news reporter. I still write for them occasionally as well. Uh, and I'm a regular contributor to Baseball Digest. So get a subscription. There you go. And you might see Anthony at Madison Square Garden if you are attending New York Ranger games. So say exactly. Hello. Yes. Yeah, I do. I do dabble. Uh, they call me Tony Pucks in the office, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I get a kick go. out of. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it here for this episode. 
of Believe in the Mets. Make sure you're following us on social media and subscribing on YouTube so you never miss an episode at B-L-E-A-V-I-N-T-H-E-M-E-T-S, Believe in the Mets. And if you're listening to this, you can watch us. If you're watching us, you can listen on all podcast platforms. I'm on Twitter at Nick underscore Durst, on Instagram at Nick's Food and Stuff. And until next time, everybody, let's go Mets. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.